episode 17 of the Improvised Music Agenda podcast. Who you're listening to back there is Chris Gilfoyle and his group Umbra. Let's have a listen, check it out. Hi, welcome back. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you're enjoying the cold weather. Finally, it's got cold. Summer's over. Anyway, so yeah, I never introduce myself on these podcasts. I think it's only the first one. So, if you're a first-time listener, my name is Hoovy Williams, your host. And yeah, I'm chatting to musicians about music and life. And this episode is with Irish guitar player, Dublin-based, Chris Gilfoyle. But before we get into talking to Chris, uh, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to the previous episodes. Uh, yeah, so there's been quite a few hits for the last episode with Dave DeRose. So, yeah, thanks for checking that one out. And if you want to help me get more visibility for the podcast, do go over to iTunes and rate and review. Give me a nice review. Five stars would be great. And also, if you're enjoying it and want to contribute a bit, uh, there's a Patreon page. So all the money I make from the Patreon page goes towards the hosting of the podcast, paying for travel to get to the guests, and other little costs that come in between, buying coffees, for example, for the guests. And yeah, so if you're enjoying it, please do consider giving a few quid to the Patreon page. So, sorry, it's been... so sporadic with these episodes recently uh yeah so i've been busy doing some music copying and let me tell you uh classical music has so much details wow yeah so the thing i never sort of consider when reading a piece of music phrase marks dynamics and everything and it's just made me realize how much i blag while playing music sometimes but well i say blag you know these are never conscious thoughts of thinking about forte and piano. I sort of just tend to go with it while listening. Anyway, but, um, so yeah, I've been recording a few interviews as well since I posted the last episode. So there's a good one with Alex Ward coming up at some point soon and Michael D'Souza. So that's a fun one. Uh, that will be linked to his EP launch coming up soon, which I'm a sideman on, which is quite exciting. So yeah, this interview with Chris, this took place back in September 2018, where we played at my series Shelf Life with previous podcast guests, Jonathan Lindhorst and Simon Roth. So yeah, uh, I've known Chris for a while, but yeah, this is the first time we properly played was back in September. So yeah, so I met Chris at Jim's. Uh, the summer school in Austria. So this is how I know Jonathan and also Elias Stemiseder, who is a previous guest on this podcast. And yeah, no, it's great to catch up with him and play. So we recorded this just before the doors opened. So yeah, so that's why it's a bit shorter because it's the only time we could find. It's about a half hour window. And yeah, uh, well, we recorded it on a couple of handheld mics, so the sound quality might be a di- bit different to previous episodes. But yeah, it was a great chat. Uh, we talked about punk rock and the whole DIY thing, 
and the scene in Ireland at the moment. And also we talked a bit about uh, Chris's dad, who's Ronan Guilfoyle, who's a well-known bass player on the Irish jazz scene. So also, well, before we launch into this chat, uh, I'd like to remind you, the last Shelf Life is happening, 20th of November, uh, Aces and Eights in Tufnell Park. So if you're into the whole creative music thing, come down. So we'll have Matt Hurley, who's a guitar player, uh, and his group. And also we'll be doing a special improvised music agenda all styles band and yeah so follow me online on twitter at hill v williams or facebook you can find me or instagram and yeah so there'll be more info on there and yeah please follow anyway less of my blabbering here's the chat with chris gilfoy <laughs> Cool. So, man, I think this is the darkest place I've ever done a podcast. Yeah. You mean phys- like physically dark, not like... Not mentally. The, not mentally dark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a really yeah. bad place at the yeah. moment. Um, so, you've been up to a cool project at the moment, Umbra, mm-hmm. your band. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. How, how did that come about? So, that's all your compositions, right? Yeah. Um, it's been through a lot of different variations. Like, it started as my first band after I graduated from New Park um, in my jazz degree program. And it started out as a quartet. And then from there, it evolved into a sextet. And then then it went back to a quintet. Oh, so, who, so who we, got the sack? And yeah, so I guess it's been a quintet since about 2011, 2012, something like that. And it's pretty much been the same band members since. Hip. And yeah. then... So, because you guys played the Vortex back in March, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the guys in the band, like Matthew Jacobson Yeah, Matthew Jacobson uh, and Chris Engel and Sam Comerford on saxophones and Barry Donahue on bass. Great. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then, yeah. Oh, cool. So, you've been busy with that. So, and then the Super Umbra. So, you managed to get, like... Yeah, so, so yeah. The yeah, I mean, yeah, we've been busy. We had, like, a, we'd released an album... Um, that officially was released only last month, but we had the like release tour a year ago. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we've been, you know, we've played some gigs and been touring that a bit. And then, yeah, the Super Umber thing I've done twice. I did it two years ago with um, different musicians from around Europe that I knew, including um, Kieran McLeod. Who's one of your Saint Albans oh, neighbors? Yeah, yeah. He's one of the out of towners. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> and then this time around, uh, we were approached by Kilkenny Arts Festival, who wanted to do a whole jazz series, and they asked me, you know, who would I like to collaborate with? And I sent them a really long list of people I'd love to collaborate with, and they managed to whittle that down to uh, Nils Vogram, Theo Blackman, and John O'Gallagher, which was unbelievable. Dude, so, yeah. That's the most fun ever. Yeah, it was it was really, really fun. So yeah, I wrote a bunch of new music for that particular group and I rearranged some of the super umber stuff I'd written two years ago to kind of fit that grouping as well. Oh great, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. uh, man, but O'Gallagher, he's mental, isn't he? He's, so I've only yeah. played with him like a couple of times, like briefly, but yeah, like it's yeah, the most it, intense thing. It's incredible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's insane because like, he's such a... I mean, he's such a nice guy and he's super chill and 
then the second he starts playing, he kind of becomes this other person. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it. it's crazy. It's so it's really inspiring to be like you know to be able to go from you know being super chill to being so focused and so intense on the music in such a quick like it's basically just from the get-go where you know usually we kind of take like three or four tunes before you can kind of you know get into it a little bit so um yeah it's very inspiring to see some you know and of course he just rips on the saxophone as well and i mean just like that energy as well Mm -hmm. it's like so infectious yeah 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 someone's like having it yeah for sure i was really interesting playing because we actually just played standards the whole time okay um which was i mean i haven't really heard john play standards before so um yeah i mean it was he approached it in the way he approaches most things with that intensity but it was really really interesting to hear the stuff that he does in the context of like all the things you are or whatever yeah Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was cool great so uh but you grew up in dublin Uh so we would like to take it back a bit so uh so you come from a musical family yeah 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 so my dad's a bass player ronan guilfoyle and my uncle is a jazz drummer connor guilfoyle and i also have another uncle called dara who's a drum and bass dj Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so, wow. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely a musical family vibe going on. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh yeah, because you had that ele- electronic. Yeah, thing. yeah, which is super. Yeah, because like Dara, Dara. At one point, we we were all kind of living in my grandma's house before we moved to where my parents live now, and my granddad had um, speaker system set up in the house that you could. There was music in every room, so you put on a record. And it would be pl- it would play throughout the entire house. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah, and Dara would be playing like you know like nineties jungle because it was the nineties anyway. Yeah, so it was yeah. like you know like ninety four, <laughs> ninety five, like jungle stuff in the house. And you know, I never really paid a lot of attention to it. Like I liked it, but it wasn't until when I was about like seventeen or eighteen that I rediscovered it again. I was like, oh right, yeah, yeah, this stuff is super super happening. Killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's the. I mean. Yeah, with the whole musical family thing, I mean, it, it was a similar upbringing when, you know, I did hear a lot of jazz in the house and a lot of world music and a lot of, um, yeah, some traditional Irish music, like some contemporary classical music, all that kind of stuff. Um, but when I first started playing, I had no interest in any of that stuff at all. I was like totally into rock and punk rock. And oh, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. was it like Green Day, Blink? Yeah, stuff? yeah, yeah. It started like it started off with that, and then I got into kind of more like these West Coast Californian bands, like No Effects, Strung Out, and oh um, right, yeah. And yeah, it was got, and I was super in there. I was like really heavily involved in like the DIY anarchist punk scene thing in Dublin for years, like up until I was about twenty, I'd say. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, cool. Um. And then everything kind of fell apart because everyone, you know, was going to college and, you know, yeah. everyone's interests started to kind of split a bit. But uh, it was a really cool time. Like, and I definitely learned a lot in that scene and about how to kind of organize things. And, and yeah, because I see a lot of similarities with the punk scene and the jazz scene. Like, yeah, definitely. Because, um, yeah, the only way to get things happen with the jazz scene, really. Like, uh, just to do it yourself, exactly. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. This yeah. is why we're here, to yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, which is great, you know. It's like, yeah, um, and yeah, it was the thing that I kind of that dawned on me when I was kind of in between the jazz world and the punk world a little bit that I started to realize that you know, there was, I mean, musically, yeah, it's a lot different, but like the vibe and the way things are approached, unless you're at a certain level in the m- music here, like everything is pretty much DIY and you know, and yeah the, it's all kind of musician led for the most part which is which is cool 
I mean, you can look at it as a good thing or a bad thing. It's got to, it depends, <laughs> you know, like, but it, it's necessary. You can't, I don't think you can do it any, any other way. Definitely. No, because there's a lot to learn with that as well, isn't mm-hmm. there? Because yeah, I mean, because that's quite inspiring, you know, like when someone kind of makes something happen. Yeah, yeah. Out of nothing. Like, yeah. uh yeah, I mean, there's like loads of examples of people who've done that here in London. Yeah, you know, for like sure. Yeah. And like some nights that are still running now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That are a result of that. And yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. But, uh, oh, cool. So did you ever go through the uh, chili peppers phase when you were growing um, up? No, no. I went like, I had a really weird kind of phase. So I, when I first started, it was Hendrix, like, like totally into Hendrix. Then I went to like Slipknot, like, like, <laughs> like new metal, <laughs> had a bit of a new metal phase. Uh, then Pearl Jam. Okay. Um, for a good year and a half, I was absolutely obsessed with Pearl Jam, and then I went into punk. So it's kind of weird for me as a guitar player. I kind of skipped the classic rock thing. Oh, really? So, yeah. So oh. I mean, and I like when people talk to me about like, uh, yeah. See, even I'm so out of that scene, I can't even think of a name. All right. right so, so you were never the kid in the guitar shop playing Stay With Time? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. It was no, there was no Deep Purple, none of that stuff. No. I completely bypassed all of that. Oh wow. Um, because I guess also I, I guess it was also you know like the whole punk agenda is like so anti-rock and roll and anti-rock star vibes that, you know, it was never going to be something that I would listen to. Yeah. Um, and still haven't really checked it out, to be honest. Cool. I'm sure there's some really cool stuff in there, but it's just like, I, yeah, just totally, it's totally not part of my thing, which is kind of strange as a guitar player. I think like most guitar players go through that classic rock thing, but I just never did. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. cool though. It's yeah. kind of, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, you're not going to sound like Jimmy Page, no. which is cool. No, as well, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to be that kind of like, yeah. I had a recently. I did this kind of guitar interview thing with this guy called Matthias Winkler, who's a German guitar player living in Dublin, and he's kind of chronicling the jazz guitar players that live in Dublin, okay. like all the diff- like from all the different generations. And one of the questions he asked me was like, "You noticed that I don't have a lot of blues vocabulary in my playing." And yeah, I kind of figured, well, it was because of that, because I didn't really, I mean, Hendrix would have been the closest thing to that. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, it just, like, there was nothing, I wasn't really listening to any of those guys, like Jimmy Page, I wasn't, hadn't been checking out any Stevie Ray Vaughan, hadn't been, so it's kind of like, it's not in my vocabulary because I never really listened to it. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of interesting, but... But I guess, yeah, I suppose with Hendrix, that feels a bit more like the real thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In a way, like, yeah. man, it's hard to, like, put my finger on it but there's like some sort of cool soul to all that music yeah there. i mean there's an energy to hendrix there's like this deep thing going on behind what he's playing yeah. where it, it can be without being super controversial it can be with a lot of the other kind of like general rock guitar blues stuff it's it's very surface level yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. Um, but with Hendrix, there's like yeah, there's a, there's definitely a deepness to what's going on with oh with, with how he plays. Totally, yeah, yeah it's incredible, isn't it? But uh, oh, cool. So um, so when you were growing up, were you trying to like avoid jazz? Because I was thinking, because I remember you saying yeah. the other night when we were hanging out, that's the way you rebel against your dad not knowing who the bass player. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I it wasn't ever really. They never really like my dad never really. Forced me to like listen to jazz. Really, um, he never. When I started playing, he never really was like, "Oh, you know, you shouldn't be playing this music. You should be playing jazz or whatever." He did at one point. I do remember him saying, "You know, that he was like, 
oh, you know, you you know, you're really into rock and roll now and and all this stuff and you know, but he said like the the seeds of jazz are planted inside you and sooner or later they're gonna they're gonna like sprout. And I was like, No way, Dad. I'm gonna be like, you know, playing to like thousands and thousands of people in big arenas and stuff like that. But uh in the end he was right. I mean, like when I think back on it now, I can kind of see how like growing up listening to jazz, how my like teenage years were and the way I was listening to music was evolving. So, you know, I started with Hendrix and, and some classic rock and then went into metal because there was like more technique and more interesting things going on. And then the West Coast kind of punk thing that I was talking about, this band strung out, were really into like these technical riffs and like it wasn't just like, you know, one, three, five power chord kind of stuff. It was like interesting chords like still very tonal, but like just not the obvious obvious ones. Right, and then yeah. they'd have like these big shreddy solos in it and stuff. So and I was totally like, yeah, that's that's like that's the shit. And then uh, kind of from there, I started getting into like math metal and like oh, yeah. sugar and those kind of bands and Dillinger Escape Plan. So yeah, like I I can kind of like track how I can see how I started was starting to gravitate towards jazz more yeah. and more through because everything i'd be like listening out for more technical things or more complex more you know so that's kind of how it how it ended up that i ended up you know yeah. getting into the jazz thing properly um so yeah but there wasn't really a, a real like you know you shouldn't be playing this music he was you know they were all very supportive of me doing the punk thing and you know to the point where sometimes i actually had more gigs in a week than my dad yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so yeah it was like you know they they there was never any like pushback for what i was doing i think i think my dad pretty much had figured out that it was going to happen eventually sooner or later he just you know he just kind of sat back and waited yeah no because yeah. uh yeah think about it. i remember having like constantly remembering that like, having this thought where uh i think it was like 14 mm-hmm. it was like super into like chili peppers and free yeah, yeah. and everything yeah. and you know like uh starting to get into the whole funk thing but yeah I rem- you remember thinking like oh yeah i'm never gonna be a jazz guy you know mm-hmm. that's lame <laughs> And then, yeah. like, a year later, bought, like, that Jack Up A Stories album. And then, you know... And, and then, then you were fucked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then, <laughs> then I, like, heard, like, Mr. Bungle. The, then there was that connection with Zorn. And yeah, like, yeah. Oh, there's loads of other music. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I guess, like, for me, like, how I kind of... When I first started listening to jazz, it, it was, like, listening to the more modern contemporary stuff. Oh, Because okay. I could hear stuff in that music that that I was already listening to, like there'd be odd meters and kind of riffs and, you know, like stuff. So obviously these people were checking out like Meshuggah and all that stuff. Yeah. Or I mean, I mean, Steve Coleman definitely wasn't because he was doing it way before, yeah, <laughs> yeah, before yeah. Meshuggah <laughs> was doing it. But I could make that connection and that, that re- and I was like, oh, wow, you can do this stuff and you can improvise. And, yeah. you know, because that was one of the things like even in, in the punk band that I played in, um, I would always like in the spots where there was guitar solos, I would always improvise them. Like, it would always be, like, pentatonic scales. But, you know, whatever I recorded on, on an EP that we made, I would never play that recording like a lot of the rock guys do. And it's, like, and a lot of the audience expect from, you know, like, those classic guitar solos, if you don't play them on the, like, you know, you, when you're playing in the Wembley Arena or whatever, and you don't play the solo from Sweet Child of Mine or something, people are going to be like, what are you doing? That's yeah. not solo. So, <laughs> so yeah, I could, you know, so I was already into the improvising thing. And then when I saw that, you know, you could play music that was similar to that music that I was listening to, um, and do improvisation. I was like my like mind blown kind of moment. Yeah. 
and then I kind of worked my way backwards that way, like you know, worked my way back to bebop and yeah, that way. yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, I don't think if I if I just gone straight from listening to all that music I was listening to to you know Wes Montgomery, I don't think I would have made the same connection because it w- it was just so radically different from from what I was used to listening to. Yeah, I yeah. mean, even though I would have heard all that stuff growing up, but in terms of really what I was passionate about at the time, um. Yeah, like it would make it just made much more sense to kind of check out to be into the more contemporary stuff first, and then be checking out oh, what those what were those guys into and what were those yeah, guys yeah, into yeah. and so on and so on. Yeah, totally. And then um, yeah, but yeah, no, I found the same. It's like uh, yeah, like kind of when I started really getting into it, it was after that summer school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then working my way back from there. Yeah, sure. But um, yeah, but I guess like there were there, like a lot of musicians around when you were growing up. Yeah, like yeah. They was like, hanging around the house. Yeah, there was loads of people coming around the house. Like, uh, you know, any people that my dad might have been playing with, any international guys would usually come and visit the house, <laughs> you know, have dinner. Cool. Um, I mean, but I would have, like, no idea who these people were. Honestly, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Until later, when my dad was like, oh, I remember that time whoever so-and-so came to the house. I was like, what? Yeah, he was yeah. like, oh, yeah, that was him, you know? Um <laughs> Like, like, like we were saying, the hang the other night about Paul Motion, like pulling, like doing a magic trick and taking a coin out of my ear, <laughs> and me having absolutely it. no idea who Paul Motion was back then. But uh, yeah, so yeah, there was, you know, there was music and musical people around me a lot, like all the time. So I was really like, you know, heavily indoctrinated with music yeah. just in general. It was just, you know, the way my life was Wicked, because of yeah. who my dad is. Yeah, and also yeah. you went on holiday with Steve uh, Lee. Yeah, Liebman. we went on holidays with Liebman <laughs> and his family, and um, I'd already been playing guitar at that point, um, and I brought my guitar down, and I was just you know just playing in the in the bedroom that we had, and um, and Lieb, they had a gig in Dublin after the holiday, like one gig in Whelan's. And he was like, yeah, you should come up and play on this one tune. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I got to play with Lieberman the first time when I was like 15. Really? Yeah. Amazing. And it was like this kind of like, you know, modal, like B minor thing forever. And I just, you know, just ripped a pentatonic B minor Amazing. pentatonic scale over the top, you know, um, which is kind of, it's actually pretty funny. I think there's a recording of it somewhere. Oh, we can. Um, I don't know where it is. I don't even know if I ever want to listen to it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so yeah, that was kind of funny. <laughs> but, well, that was uh, cool, but it was I guess, a cool experience. I guess at that age, you wouldn't have time to be nervous. You're just like, oh yeah, no, it's just yeah, Dave. yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. yeah, just oh, it's old Uncle Dave. You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't have really known. I mean, I knew who he was. He, you know, I'd met him met numerous times. Yeah, over yeah. my life, um, but I still wouldn't have really copped the uh, the heaviness of, of sure. Of yeah, what yeah. Of, Dave Liebman, you know. Exactly, so, man. Um, yeah, it was more like fun because it was like my dad was playing and Connor was on drums and my guitar teacher was also playing on the gig. So I was just like, oh, you know, well, yeah, like, so kind just, of just like family. Like a, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Good, man. And then, um, but yeah, so just thinking back to where we first met, mm-hmm. James. Yeah. Because I'm sure I mentioned this like with Jonathan on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that was a cool week for me. Yeah, yeah. Like at that age. Because sure. I guess, I think that was just before I started studying in college. Mm-hmm. But what, what, were you in uh, college already at that yeah, point? Yeah, I was, it was the summer between second and third year for me. That's when, that's when, when, I, when we went, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, because yeah. I guess like you were into a lot of that stuff. 
beforehand, yeah, right? Yeah, and no. It's kind of an interesting thing in terms of like, I hadn't really been doing much like free playing. Okay. Uh, I'm, but I knew about Jim Black. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm, you know, I was really into Last No Axis. Um, so I was just like, I was like, oh, cool. And I think my dad had even said, oh, you know, there's this workshop and Jim Black is on the um, on the faculty. And Jim, I think, had played recently enough in Dublin with my dad and Julian Arguilles. Oh, yeah, that's and a great record. They recorded that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was the first time I'd seen Jim. I, I don't even... Actually... I have a funny story about Jim Black. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he yeah. played Alas No Axis played the Bray Jazz Festival in like two thousand one or two or something like this. Okay. And my dad took me out to see them because he thought, you know, I hadn't really. Uh, this was still I was still like, you know, punk rock. This is my thing. And but my dad said you should come out and check this band. You know, I think you you might be into it. And um, and yeah, like I went and it was killer. Like I was loving it. And at the end. I like I had brought a demo of my punk band to oh, Jim, yeah. and I gave him gave him my demo, and he was totally into it. He was like, <laughs> "So that was like my first experience of Jim." And then the next time was that tour they did with Julian. All right, and that's when I was more like actually, you know, properly looked, checking out the music. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was really like you know blown away by Jim's playing and everything. Yeah. So then yeah, and then my dad was like, "Oh, you know, there's this thing on in the summer, and maybe you want to check it out." So. Um, so yeah, then then I went and but yeah, it was very much like I wasn't expecting it to be. I didn't really know it was going to be more of a free improvisation thing. Yeah, and yeah. I hadn't really done much free improv before. So yeah, it was definitely a new thing. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't quite what I was expecting because I was like, at that point, I was already in like I was in my super Kurt Rosenwinkel fanboy phase. Okay. Yeah. Um and but and I knew that Jim had played with Kurt as well in uh, Human Field so I was already like oh yeah you play with Kurt Rosenwinkel I'm there <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. but I was expecting it to be more like playing tunes and stuff and not, not so much this kind of more free thing yeah because that's what I remember from a lot of those classes it's just like the approaches to making music it's like because uh, what was one of the classes I remember when we were doing Jim's Ensemble yeah we were just talking about Sonics yeah like, yeah what yeah <laughs> it's like what what scale is that <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah I remember. I think the one of the really the thing that really stuck at me from from Jim's ensemble was he was talking about silence and the power of silence, and he just he got me to play, but he was like, just think about when to stop and when to start again. And I and I didn't have to, he didn't give me anything specific to play, just just play, and it was super powerful. Like how, like how important it is to leave space and not play and it was like yeah really that re- that thing really stuck at me from that that whole week that we were there it was really yeah really eye-opening yeah totally because yeah because i think i did it at the time before i really knew anything mm-hmm. so it's cool like a lot of this music opened up and just yeah, stuff yeah. to check out but yeah. uh yeah but man i wish i could do it now like yeah, knowing sure. what i know now you know yeah, yeah of course gone through the whole jazz college thing yeah but I it's always i think it's sometimes it's good to you know do things and be like just totally in the deep end. Oh man, I got you know? roasted so much. Yeah. Like, uh, who's it? Mark Dresser was teaching bass there, mm-hmm. and like I'm to sight read this thing. Yeah, and then oh yeah, sorry, don't read uh, travel class. It's <laughs> like yeah, you should get there together, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> yeah. At that point as well, I don't think anyone could insta- uh, understand me because oh, my yeah. accent is yeah. so right. Thick. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think it was just you and Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. 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 But no, I think it's like, yeah, I've done a few things. Like I went to, I went to Dave Liebman's chromatic harmony workshop pretty much the year after, like the, the summer after I finished in college in Dublin. All right. And now I re- like, it's one of those things where I'm like, I really wish I could have, I wish I'd gone now. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I learned so much and it was just such a new experience that it was also i don't i think it was also worthwhile doing it even though i was like super green you know yeah um so those things can be worthwhile i think even though it might not you know you feel like oh man if only i'd been there now or a few years ago definitely or but i mean there's a lot to be said about being in the deep end as well yeah like, absolutely cause that's the way to learn uh, yeah I totally think. totally i'm i'm yeah. i'm all of it all about the deep end totally. <laughs> when it comes to music not when it comes to swimming because i'm really bad swimming <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> um yeah like yeah, I've always, like, I definitely have been thrown in the deep end a few times with Liebman, for sure. Oh, yeah. Like, cool. the few times that I've played with him, he always manages to throw some sort of curveball at you where you suddenly are just like, oh, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um, and I've had it a few times with my dad where he's purposely thrown me in the deep end oh, really? <laughs> a few times. Um, we had, we've played this tune, this, we have a trio with my dad and my uncle, and we do a we play um, standard uh, falling in love with love. We play it at an eleven, but it's like this really fast eleven swung. Oh, and <laughs> yeah, and it sounds really like like it, it, it sounds really like the swing eleven thing sounds really cool. Like it, and it doesn't have like you might think okay, it'll sound like real weird and choppy, but it, I don't know. It you know, it sounds really nice. Like it totally totally works. But so my dad in the solos, we usually play this vamp kind of thing. Because it was like like the harmony was mostly like a C pedal, and then there'd be a few changes, and then another C pedal, mm. and and then eventually him and Connor would go into walking, and in the rehearsals I was just like I was so lost, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was super lost, yeah. and so we stopped, we finished, and uh, I was saying in the rehearsal, I was like, I was like, you know, I can really hear, you know, when you're playing the vamp, I'm totally there, but you know, I find it really hard. Um, when you start walking and um, they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, well, let's try it again, let's try it again. So I try it again. We get to the solo thing and my dad plays the vamp but never plays the one. He plays like every <laughs> other beat except the one. And Dude. I was like, oh, okay. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, yeah thanks very much. <laughs> like, so then I had to go home and like program it all into my sequencer and spend like hours and hours oh, practicing this thing. But it's totally worth it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, if you want to be... You know, playing in that kind of style and playing those odd meters, you should be comfortable with not just hearing like a solid one all the time. You should definitely. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, it was like one of the one of my hard lessons <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that I had to learn. But uh, yeah, so so but I'm all about that. I think yeah, you learn you learn so much faster yeah. that way than like kind of being like having your hand held the entire time. That's you know? true. I mean, uh, what's my favorite joke at the moment? You know that comedian Mark Marin. No. Well, but he's he, well, he's got like a bit in his stand-up when he's talking about um, how he never prepare, uh, prepares for things. Right, right. So when he pulls it off, he, f- he seems like a genius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like, I just realised, oh, that's my attitude. Yeah, tonight. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like to improvise. Mm, yeah, <laughs> <You know>? totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, oh, cool, man. So before we wrap up, so uh, you spent the summer in Berlin. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you, you like between both places. Yeah, um, that's kind of the plan I had um i was planning on moving to berlin like straight up just moving but um i do have a pretty steady job in the university in dublin now and it it would have been kind of mental to to just completely 
get rid of that yeah. kind of solid income. I guess it's like no safety net. Exactly. Thing, which would be um, too scary, wouldn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so, yeah, but because the jazz program is now part of a much bigger university, it turns out that we actually have quite a lot of time off that like way more than we normally would when it was just a private college so yeah so now i'm gonna spend any time that i have off in berlin and hanging out in the scene and just yeah it's it's a really exciting place to be and there's lots so many great musicians there and it's super cheap compared to dublin um so yeah i just kind of i want to use it as a base to just kind of improve um because i find like dublin is great but it's very small and i kind of feel like you can only get to a certain level in that city and then it kind of just plateaus so i guess yeah but um but also what i like about berlin is just yeah it just feels like kind of uh brooklyn but in europe i guess yeah yeah totally it has like same crew yeah thing of there yeah and it's like people doing it for the music and the art and stuff. Yeah, for sure. And it's also, like, it's really, I find it super refreshing, like, just to, you know, go to gigs in Berlin where it's, you know, sometimes going to be pretty experimental music and the audience is very young. Yeah. You know? Actually, yeah, that's the thing, though. It's like, there's, like, you know, people of our age and younger are, like, totally into checking it out, which is not so much, like, I mean, in Dublin, you'll get an audience for, like, fairly straight ahead stuff and you know and some contemporary stuff that's not going to go too off the wall but if you're really going for like like proper proper experimental stuff it's very difficult in in dublin at least there's like there's one night a week in the city called that's called edge hunters and they do and they've kind of created their own little thing and that's great but uh, yeah it's just really yeah refreshing and inspiring and stuff to be you know to see that there is an audience for that there and the yeah. audience is generally young and, yeah. and totally into it so oh, wicked. so yeah i kind of want to be part of that whole vibe for a while and yeah just yeah and there's uh but i guess there's a good history as well in ireland of like uh progressive musicians i guess like simon yeah. german yeah Trump for Capio. sure yeah like matthew jacobson matthew, yeah. Um, case, yeah and, yeah. and lauren oh yeah yeah of yeah. course yeah yeah so yeah i mean there's there's also a really great piano player called Justin Carroll who moved to New York a couple of years ago. Around the same time Simon did. He's also super, super cool. All right, wicked. Um, uh, yeah, so, yeah, there's definitely musicians who will do that and, and are doing it. Um, there's also a guy called David Lacey. He's a really interesting drummer. Uh, he played at that um, thing we did in the Vortex in March. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a history of it. I just, just it's very hard to... Um, get the audience for it and that's kind of like one of the main issues for me with Dublin is that like we ca- jazz and experimental music is kind of like almost in a media blackout okay yeah. right with the exception of there's a one guy uh, Cormac Larkin who is the Irish Times critic and and he is pretty much the only person doing like promoting jazz in the mainstream media. There's another guy who just runs this website called Jazz Ireland and he's just his own independent thing and it's great and he's really, really supportive of the scene. But, I mean, to hear Irish jazz on the radio in Ireland is almost next to nothing. Like, unless you have a really good PR person working for you. Yeah, totally. Um, So, and I think that's a reason why a lot of the people in Dublin leave because it's just like you can only... If people aren't coming to the, to the gigs, then 
what's the point <laughs> in yes. a way um so yeah th- there's that and there's also just the issue of not really having a venue like okay, like yeah. we don't have the equivalent of a vortex right yeah right yeah. there is places to play jazz and arthur's this this pub called arthur's is kind of the like unofficial jazz club um but i mean it's you're not going to be playing super experimental music there no. Yeah. Um, I mean, Umber have played there a few times, so it's you know he's open. The guy who runs it is he's open to that. It's totally cool. But yeah, there's a, there's like there's a limit of what you what you can do in Arthur's. So I think like there's so many great musicians now in Dublin, thanks to the university. There's all you know we've got. There's way more musicians who are playing at a high level now in Dublin than there ever was before. But there's just nowhere for us to play. Yeah, and it's like the la- it's like the missing link for that scene i think like if there was the equivalent of a vortex yeah. in dublin the whole thing would just explode like it would yeah. just be and it would totally be happening there but it's just there just doesn't seem to be a will um from outside to like to want to be interested in it or like to you know take it seriously right yeah yeah um so that's the ongoing battle really is those yeah. two things just trying to you know create a bit of a commotion in with the media circle and yeah. also just having a like solid dedicated space for for the music to flourish yeah yeah but yeah. um cool but it seems good like but also what did i see because matthew jacobson's running yeah. something at the moment isn't he he's which is he doing like setting up some nights in dublin yeah so there's so there's a well, there's a thing called the dublin jazz co-op oh, which okay. we just started about it's been going since March, I think. All oh, right, so it's a collective. Yeah, it's a collective thing, and okay. it was it was started actually by this Australian saxophone player called uh, Daniel Rourke, who has been amazing in terms of like he 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 lived in Dublin like six or seven years ago. He actually used to play a number for a while. All right, and then he moved to Iceland, and he's moved back, and he, he's kind of like he's not so jaded about the scene. So he just arrived and started just walking into places yes. and going. Let's let's do something. So he's managed to find two regular gigs in the city. There's one this thing called the Dwarf Jar, which is like a, um, it's more of a, like you play standards, but yeah, um, it's a cool gig and the vibe is cool. And, and you actually play the stage is seven foot off the ground. It's basically a loft, oh, right. um, because <laughs> it was the only place they could put a stage. So wow. you're, you're like up off the ground and everyone's below you. Amazing. Um, and yeah, it's a cool vibe. And then. Then yeah, then Daniel approached the Workman's Club, which is a really big venue on the in the city, um, and they have this small little room called the Vintage Room, and it doesn't really get used too often, and especially doesn't get used that often on a Sunday. So he went and talked to the guys at the Workman, saying, "Hey, could we like use this every Sunday?" And and they were super supportive of it. Like we don't, they don't charge us for anything. Like we just we have the use of the room available. So. The newest season just started uh, just last Sunday, actually. Um, so, yeah, basically the way it works is um, you we have, like, it's curated by a different person in the co-op every two months. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so it was Daniel for the first two months, and now this, the next two months is um, a singer and cello player uh, called Aleka, and then the next two months is going to be me. Wicked. So oh, cool, yeah, that so, sounds exciting. So yeah, I think, and the kind of general aim is to try and keep this going for a year, and then to maybe approach the arts council or something and go, yeah. "Hey, look, this has been happening. Maybe you want to try and help us support it." And, you know, so 
and yeah, the programming's been really cool and diverse, and you know we've tried to include as many people from the scene as possible. So you know, there's a lot of the current generation, but we've also have you know some of the older, more established jazz musicians, yeah. and we try not to you know pencil it in uh, like a specific style, like so it's not just like we yeah. have experimental, we've got super mainstream, we have yeah. and all the, all the other things in between that as well. Oh, that sounds good, man. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So so fingers crossed, like that could be the start of what i'm talking about a bit you know okay man getting yeah, yeah. the whole thing going nice yeah. one cool right i think the doors are about to open cool cool All thanks right. for doing this cheers man, man. Nice thank you there we go chris gilfoyle if you'd like to check out some more music of his and what he's up to you can get onto his website and everything and yeah, thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time.